Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi there, and welcome to the Explaining History podcast. Um, today, I'm going to talk a little bit about Herbert Hoover. It's quite um, an overlooked character in many ways when we're coming to terms with um, the uh, history of America before World War Two, um, the uh, impact and the uh, personality of Franklin Roosevelt tends to draw students directly to him. Uh, we bypass Hoover in general, um, and I think that's that's unfair. I think the other thing that's unfair as well is looking at the the there's this sort of imagined binary opposition between Hoover and Roosevelt. On the one hand. Historians, um, particularly on this side of the Atlantic, um, schools' histories tend to uh, portray Roosevelt as the man who saved America uh, with the New Deal. Um, Certainly that's a contentious one, Um, whatever the New Deal did, certainly by um, 1939 there's still significant unemployment in America. And obviously, the on the reverse side of things, Herbert Hoover is either the uh, cold-hearted technocrat who doesn't care about America, or the um, out-of-touch incompetent who um, can't fix America, can't do anything in the scale of the economic crisis. Uh, I suppose a kind of an, an American and economic version of our view of, of Neville Chamberlain, which again is a view which isn't always strictly accurate or fair. So I'm going to try to demythologize Herbert Hoover a little bit today and uh, place him in the context of the 1920s. Part of Herbert Hoover's appeal to the American public during the 1920s is he seemed to represent an awful lot of things that uh, America felt about itself during the, the decade. Um, he had come from fairly humble backgrounds. Uh, his father had been a blacksmith, and he was something of a self-made man. He was evidently a very talented individual. Um, he had uh, built a career for himself in the mining industry. He'd uh, worked for a British mining operation in Australia, and his travels had taken him to China. He was a, a, a devout man, he was a Quaker, and so he had many of the kind of the, the, the core ingredients um, to make him an appealing figure to the American public after World War I. Um, he was enterprising, he had a, a degree of individualism, and he was uh, obviously a deep Christian faith. And his expertise by 1914 had resulted in him uh, being a, an independent mining consultant and being an extremely wealthy one. Um, his know-how and his skills were sought after all over the world. 
His decision in 1914, possibly influenced by his Quaker faith, to um, help to extricate 120,000 stranded Americans in Europe to get them back home to America uh, led to him becoming a, a national public figure in the United States. Later on, he would uh, raise money uh, to help to alleviate a famine in Belgium caused by the German occupation. As the chairman of the Committee for Relief, of, uh, Relief for uh, Belgium, he managed to distribute uh, millions upon millions of tonnes of food from the USA, all produced by uh, US farmers, and um, he managed to have that shipped to Belgium during the German occupation, uh, at the same time managing to ensure that uh, it wasn't, or perhaps a minimal amount of it, was appropriated by the German army. The uh, possibility of that happening would have had the entire programme shut down and uh, military and blockaded by the British uh, and the French. Winston Churchill's problem with this at the time was that the feeding of Belgian citizens conquered by the Germans was a German responsibility and therefore all the foodstuffs that were uh, provided by uh, American aid uh, went to help the Germans divert their own resources to the German army and thus prolong the war. Uh, the two men uh, deeply disliked one another, and um, by 1917, Woodrow Wilson had indeed uh, appointed Hoover to his wartime administration as the head of the U.S. Food Administration, which was a body that centralised uh, food production for the war effort and for aid relief, and used... Um, at that point in America, unprecedented government powers uh, into the agriculture business and industry. And these were the kinds of powers that who uh, um, would eventually um, frown at when it came to exercising them during uh, the great civilian crisis of the Great Depression. So there's something of an interesting irony there. And by encouraging uh, things like meatless Mondays amongst the population um, and the uh, decision, uh, voluntarist decision-making to not consume certain things on certain days so that these foodstuffs could be diverted to the troops, um, the, the, the public profile that Hoover had was, uh, was, was quite prominent during the war. Um, he made sure that there was a system of price controls and that there was a licensing arrangements that made sure that supply was uh, maximised. And these are the kinds of things that are happening in Britain at the same time. Um, the the, the far-reaching extension of L Lloyd George's government uh, into the economy when he is the Minister of Arms Production and later on as the Prime Minister um, was a, a lesson learned in America too, in both countries, engaging with total war on this kind of scale, knew that really uh, the home front was at least half the answer to winning the war. And from 1918 onwards, he was involved in two further um, aid relief efforts. Firstly, in Germany itself. Germany had been under blockade from the Royal Navy since uh, 1916 and had been brought to the point of starvation by 1919, the blockade had continued all the way through the Paris Peace Conference and part of the uh, signing of the Treaty of Versailles was based on the uh, hope that the British blockade would be lifted. 
something like half a million additional German deaths uh, occurred in 1919 as a result of the uh, blockade of Germany. But this level of uh, destruction was nothing compared to the horrors of the Russian Civil War that was waged from 1918 to 21. Um, the uh, policy of war communism uh, was instituted by Lenin um, quite deliberately really to bring about uh, famine and starvation and bring um, vast waves of Russia into uh, kind of dependency on uh, the Bolsheviks, um, as well as expropriating from the people the means to keep the Red Army fed, uh, brought, um, killed uh, potentially, the jury is out on this one, figures vary, but the figure that people look at really is about 5 million dead um, in from starvation. And so, um, once again, Hoover was uh, instrumental in uh, bringing aid to the uh, what was to become the Soviet Union. There are some very interesting accounts in Doug Smith's uh, book Former People, which is the uh, fate of the uh, Russian aristocracy after the revolution, of um, uh, young uh, aristocratic heiresses on the run uh, meeting Hoover's uh, aid workers in places like Georgia, um, marrying them and being conveniently rescued from the, uh, the clutches of the Cheka. Um, it's a, it's a, a very good book if you ever get to, uh, to give it a read. So uh, at the end of the war, Hoover is this quite saintly character. Um, he is uh, universally popular and seen as uh, potential presidential material. Um, he's looked upon very favourably by Woodrow Wilson. Um, even Franklin Roosevelt, who'd been Secretary to the Navy at that time, um, th thought that he was uh, a man of great calibre. He'd been a Republican since before the war, and in 1921 he uh, becomes uh, Warren Harding's Secretary of Commerce. He had uh, rejected overtures from the Democrat Party in 1920, and the uh, downfall of Woodrow Wilson uh, was perhaps influential in, in, in this decision, but it's doubtful that he would ever really have uh, embraced the Democrats. And he developed the um, uh, Department of Commerce while he was there. He, uh, it was when he found it a, a small, underdeveloped and not particularly important uh, branch of government. He um, used the powers that were given to him to try to find out, quantify as many aspects of the American economy as he possibly could do. He was a man with a real head for statistics and for data and I think probably not accustomed to making decisions without um, the, a quantifiable range of options in front of him. So he loved information. He was sort of sucked it up like a sponge. And there is an awful lot more to know. Uh, the booming American economy after the war is one that's more complicated, more varied and more technologically advanced than it has been uh, what it was uh, before the war. New industries like radio, aviation are changing the way in which um, America operates and the way in which America relates to the rest of the world. So um, there is this, this was a great time, really, for um, Hoover to be a part of government and for a man who has a natural kind of business acumen and a bureaucratic acumen, he is uh, an, an ideal candidate for the position that he's in. And the... Um, 
there's a, there's a sense in America during the 1920s that really he he's a man who, who whose time has arrived. His uh, appeal as a president, as we shall look at in in a moment, was really based around that that his um, his a kind of a, a man of commerce really did match the times in which he existed. Part of his appeal as well that he's no ideologue. Um, he's interested in efficiency. He's interested in stamping out waste. He's interested in making sure that the machine of government runs smoothly and that it runs very has a very smooth and untrammeled relationship with business. Not really um, because of any perhaps corrupt leanings that Hoover had. I doubt whether he had any of those at all. But perhaps with a certain naivety on Hoover's part that he thought that um, the kind of the, the technocratic power of business and government together could produce optimum outcomes. Um, and it was there was a certain kind of utopian naivety to Hoover, which again matches the rather utopian naiveties of, of the age that obviously are culminating catastrophe in 1929. Another one of the ironies of Hoover is that as Secretary for Commerce, he seems to have done far more for America than really he, he achieved as president. He was a man. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quinn's is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. As Secretary of Commerce, who pioneered new roads, um, he pioneered the aviation industry, he pioneered uh, irrigation and uh, flooding uh, defences, and he was a man who um, really shaped the uh, the radio industry. In in part, he attempted to uh, re- withdraw licences for radio stations that he deemed to be non-useful. Um, this failed, uh, but the, um, the the influence of Hoover in things like the Federal Communications Commission that has existed um, uh, in the post-war era um, has uh, ha- has a kind of a, a powerful knock-on effect. But uh, more on that another time. 
1927, a catastrophe struck the lower Mississippi area when the uh, river broke its banks, flooding millions of hectares of land and bringing with it dysentery, pellagra, cholera, and all manner of uh, horrific communicable diseases. And Calvin Cooley, then the president, uh, thought the best man to get on the case, based on his work in Belgium, Germany and Russia, was of course Hoover. And the the fact that the uh, following year there was a presidential election, um, this uh, intervention was a, a political godsend. It's the kind of thing that most politicians dream of. When Calvin Coolidge decided he wasn't going to uh, re-stand for president, uh, re-run for president in 1928, uh, Herbert Hoover got the Republican nomination. And he um, got this largely because of his public uh, persona and the appeal he had with the the American public. And the um, campaign that he ran was one that was largely based on the things that he had been articulating for many years. He was uh, essentially uh, proposing a platform of um, continued prosperity. The, uh, there are significant worries about the United States economy by 1928. Long before the Wall Street crash, the economy has been slowing down. Uh, the, um, the amount of disposable income that American people have to spend on consumer items is being uh, swallowed up by the credit that's been offered to them and unemployment is rising, and already the the weaknesses in the US economy that are smashed open by the Wall Street crash in 1929 are being being exposed. So a a safe pair of hands on the wheel is really what Americans um, voted for when they they voted for Hoover. Um, And and a man who uh, had a kind of a, a, a strong moral track record uh, as well. There is a, a magnificent quote from Hoover which really articulates where he was at with his thinking. He said that, given the chance to go forward with the policies of the last eight years, we shall soon, with the help of God, be in sight of the day when poverty will be banished from this nation. So the, the extent to which Hoover had embraced the um, free market, laissez-faire um, e- economics that created the colossal um, bubble that America was sitting on at the time that was about to burst um, is is uncanny. Um, Hoover had Hoover was absolutely convinced that the uh, economics of the 1920s were perfectly sound, and that really the upward path now to some kind of capitalist utopia was within reach. Um, it's it's very interesting, I find, in this period of time, um, the the the, the, sort of the mirrors. That, uh, that exist between a kind of a utopian communist world that is developing and a utopian capitalism, both based on a sort of a belief in kind of technology and progress and just different notions of progress. Anyway, I digress. Hoover was very keen on a small state approach to government affairs to uh, remove the state from the life of the individual believed very much in these notions of rugged individualism, in that uh, individual endeavour and effort and hard work was the thing that had really made America, and that um, the, the state could do nothing uh, other than be the night watchman, anything more, and the state would emasculate the individual 
and take out of him the instinct to better himself, to work, to strive. Uh, all these ideas that really are still very prevalent in America today. These are ideas that might possibly have some um, resonance or some relevance during the normal uh, upswing and downswing of uh, regular business cycles. But after October 1929, they don't really uh, apply anymore. The rules have all changed uh, after the Wall Street crash. Um, the decision by Hoover to continue with these kinds of policies, to continue to be a, a laissez-faire president, really lasts until the end of his presidency in 1932. Though, by the eve of um, his defeat by Roosevelt, there is a sense um, from, from Hoover that really something now must be done. The policies, the federal policies that he begins to introduce, which are not dissimilar from Roosevelt's own New Deal policies, I'll talk about them in just a moment, um, they are unfortunately too little too late to save him. By 1932, his fortunes have changed so radically as to be unrecognisable. No longer is he seen as this safe pair of hands, no longer is he seen as this um, technocratic administrator, the, the man best governed, best able to steer America. Uh, by 1932, he's perhaps the most unpopular figure in American life. When in 1932, the bonus army, um, who were World War I veterans who were waiting for their bonus, uh, which was an amount pay payable out to them for each day they had been at war. Uh, when they marched on Washington, hungry and poor, with, men with their families in tow, and uh, built a, a Hooverville, a shanty town on the Anacostia Flats outside the White House, um, they were uh, seen as a, a terror by Hoover as a threat to the security of the nation. They were, um, in his eyes, demanding sums of money, which, actually, in fair to Hoover, he's probably right, in sums of money which were unsustainably huge uh, in terms of the, uh, the amount that uh, Hoover could pay out or the state could pay out. Hoover was also suspicious that if he started handing out large sums of money to the bonus marchers, um, whose bonus was due in 1945, um, that... Uh, other groups would start demanding uh, large compensatory payouts for all sorts of reasons. Giving into one means one gives into all, and he he looked he thought this was a kind of a, a dangerous precedent. The one the manner in which he dealt with it um, really leaves a, a lot to be desired. Um, he put Douglas MacArthur in charge. Now, if you've listened to my podcast previously on MacArthur, you'll you'll know that I have opinions on the man. For sure. Um, MacArthur believed actually a communist revolution was happening. Um, he was uh, uh, reacted in a, a, a very over-the-top manner and sent um, two of his officers, a, a young Dwight Eisenhower and a young George S. Patton, to uh, intervene. The, um, the whole situation turned very ugly and MacArthur um, decided that he was going to dissolve the encampment um, and then a fire was started, which killed one of the bonus marchers children. Um, this could not have been more electorally disastrous for Hoover. The people's sympathies were certainly with the bonus marchers. Um, Hoover was seen as being um, cruel, unsympathetic, out of touch, and he was uh, this compounded the view that he was unwilling to do anything really to address the situation of the American people. The um, the man who they had elected, uh, who they elected 
um, as a, a figure who would was deliberately and intentionally remote, uh, a standoffish, hands out of the lives, states hands out of the lives of ordinary people kind of guy, was now expected by the American people really to intervene decisively to um, do something about the nature of the the almost an ending depression and unemployment in America. When Roosevelt comes to power, um, as we'll talk about later on, uh, when Roosevelt comes to power, he's not the binary opposite of Hoover. Um, despite what is said about him, he doesn't believe in uh, enormous, generous state handouts for the, the working man. All Roosevelt is, uh, and whilst his achievements are, are certainly worth noting, what he really is, is an eternal pragmatist, a man who chooses um, the policies to implement based on what is likely to work. And the problem that Hoover has is that Hoover isn't completely unpragmatic, but he is far more hidebound by kind of ideological strictures about the nature, his belief about the nature of economies and the nature of individuals, Roosevelt's less concerned by those things. When um, Hoover tries to bring in some uh, federal legislation, such as the Emergency Relief and Construction Act, which uh, was uh, designed to bring about public works schemes, it's too late in his presidency. These were eventually enacted by Roosevelt anyway, uh, a recognition by Roosevelt that Hoover did actually have a couple of good ideas, but too little too late. And the um, the final disaster of uh, Hoover's career is, or Hoover's presidency, is the, the impending collapse of America's banks, which Roosevelt um, refuses uh, during the kind of the handover period between the two presidents to play any part in alleviating, partly because had the banks continued to collapse, had the economy continued to fall apart, Roosevelt would have been tainted with the failures of his predecessor, and he certainly wasn't having any of that. Okay, so well, I hope this has been useful for you today. Um, certainly, if you're doing um, GCSE or A-level history, this is a, a, um, uh, an important area of uh, understanding. But in general, what I think the thing the thing we can draw from this is that we really have to start moving away from these um, kind of caricatures that history textbooks present us with. Um, they uh, give us binary oppositions, one guy bad, one guy good. And it's a simple narrative at a certain level of our understanding that helps us to kind of negotiate and understand historical processes, but it's largely inaccurate. Um, there's the the, in, the uh, value of studying Herbert Hoover is his, are his complications. The fact that he is this conflicted character, the fact that he is lauded for much of his career, and then for the final few years, reviled. And for more on this subject, you can read my very short ebook introduction to it all, uh, The Roaring Twenties and the Wall Street Crash. Uh, you can find that at www.explaininghistory.com or you can follow the link to, on the, uh, the podcast uh, below. Anyway, I hope you found this useful today. Uh, it's great to be uh, talking history with you and I'll look forward to catching you on the next podcast. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.